Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, uh, on the ones and twos, super producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, how you doing? Doing great, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, not as good as I could be, which is why also we have with us, uh, who was also with us last week, uh, my father, dad, Mike Golick Sr., back to help out as I am, if you can't hear it right now in my voice already, Struggling mightily. I am playing hurt today. I am not injured, but Dad, you're going to come here and uh, try and help <laughs> fill out this podcast so it sounds somewhat credible. Why don't you explain to everybody why you feel so bad, Mike? <clears throat> uh, what? So, Brandon and I are about 33 years old, going on 34 years old. And because we went to a school in the Midwest, most of our friends were Midwest on Midwest couples, which means most of them got married really young. Most of us, our friends from college, got married in our mid-20s, started having kids around then. And so I don't have a lot of weddings left from that group, but one of my high school best friends, a guy by the name of Brendan Jasper, got married this past weekend to his lovely wife, Amy, in Washington, D.C. So I went out there and basically had a two-day high school reunion in the name of love, and let me tell you what, the Northwest Catholic class of 2008 can absolutely still party. I have guaranteed that. So I'm wondering if it's like, because I've heard you talk about this before. So when you, there was obviously some people you've seen more recent than others, others you haven't seen in a long while. Is it at all comparable to the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving when you go home and you Ooh. go out and you've always said, man, don't be press and send. Don't try and rekindle the old flame. Don't do this. Don't do yeah. that. Is it kind of like that when you see everybody, make sure everybody is cool and all right, but don't go overboard? Well, I think you don't want to be the one to set the tempo, right? Because that's always the danger. Some of our friends and a lot of my high school friend group have done a good job of keeping in touch. So there were a lot of people here that I have seen plenty in the time leading up to this. I graduated high school in 2008. So, you know, right, you know, in, in that amount of time, 
done a good job keeping up, but you're right. Some people I haven't seen since graduation. And so my thought process going in was I didn't want to be the one dictating the pace of the night, right? I don't want to be the guy ordering shots at the bar, but I'll take them. I don't want to be the guy leading the, you know, leading the charge, going towards the late night spot, the after hour spot. But if someone suggests it, I'll follow along because you don't want to be the one that's the story coming off the weekend for people that haven't seen you in a long time. You want that in a positive light. Oh, he looks good. Oh, he's got a good job. Oh, he seems like he's healthy and in good shape. You want that to be the story. Not like, oh man, Mike really can't turn it off. You you don't want to hear, oh, did you, do you see Jimmy or do you see Janie and what they did? Oh my God. So I have two other things to one to ask and the other statement. The one now, Brandon is a detective in Washington, right? Brendan. So Brendan, I'm sorry, not Brandon. Brendan. I was like, Brendan. Brendan. Brendan Jasper. And so any of his guests there, I mean, how many guys were packing at this thing? Ooh. So I don't think anyone was carrying at the wedding. It was actually a pretty cool setting. It was at um, Abraham Lincoln's like log cabin off-site area it was kind of a museum there were exhibits that you could go see where the bathroom was because the uh ceremony was outdoors and the reception was also outdoors in a large tented area and so to go inside you had to go to the bathroom in this museum looking area that had a bunch of abe lincoln historical facts i kept joking that there was an alternate reality exhibit where he survives the play it's called (laughs) too abe too furious but uh people didn't really bite on that uh, but yeah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, so yeah, there was uh, there was that factor of it as well. And then the other statement that I'll make is because you are hurting, and I get it, I get it. I feel like this podcast is like the it's not a poem, it's like the 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 thing uh, called footprints, right? Oh, that one, yes. Where where there's there's when I needed you most, there was just one set of footprints in the sand and. My son, I was carrying you during that time. So that's what I'm doing right now. Beautiful. Yeah, no, true, truer <laughs> words have never been spoken. I am not capable of staying out till 2 a.m. and back-to-back nights anymore. We have. Oh, my God. That, that, that curdles my stomach to even think about. I, listen, I want to know, did he shoot his shot with his high school sweetheart? Uh, I did not know. I actually, I sat at a table with uh, the now woman who I was dating when I yes. was in high school, yep. uh, whose younger brother is also one of my good friends. And I mean, that was, again, when we were in high school. Brandon, you may have sure. met her because we were dating when we were going right into college. But no, there was no rekindling <laughs> of the romance there. There was, honestly, it was great to see everybody in that right. setting. Everyone does seem to be doing well. And I never take for granted the fact that my friends have found things in the life since they left high school and seem to be doing okay with that. I was now, wondering about that too. I didn't want to ask. I'm glad you did. Friend. <laughs> <laughs> this, I got you. this is like a long running theme of my parents yeah, trying to ask my friends very covertly about anything in my love life. Because they know if they go directly at me, sometimes I'll turtle yeah. up a little bit. Well, well, that's why I let Brandon ask. I, yeah, I let yeah. him do it. Yeah. Well, or or I think they tempered themselves because you bite back now. I think you used to turtle. Now you bite back. Well, speaking of biting back, the one other thing I learned and was reminded of this weekend is how important it is to give your sober or your drunk self gifts from your sober self. I think that Ooh. the next season of Severance should be about instead of innies and outies at work, it should be your sober self separated from your drunk self because I ran into this problem. My sober self gave my drunk and then hungover self a really bad gift in the form of an 8.30 a.m. flight the morning after the wedding out of Reagan. And so getting up and having to do that, terrible. But... Sober me also gave drunk me a really nice gift in the fact that I packed everything up in my bag before I went off to the wedding. And so I made a little less trouble for myself beforehand. So always make sure that your sober self is going to give your drunk slash hungover self a gift and not a curse when you find yourself in these settings. That's where the planning of adulthood has to come into play. I, I still think it's okay because you were flying to a place where you had no responsibilities, right? Um, right. So... I still think it's okay to get that early flight and get out, get to the next place you're supposed to be because you could lay down. You know, when I first started doing college games, uh, when you guys were, were young, I was doing college games before you guys were born, but then you were born and you were young. And after the games, our crew would go out, you know, we'd go hang out and maybe have a few, few drinks. And 
I'd come home the next day and sometimes not feel the best, but I'm coming home to my wife and kids. And at, at some point, Chris, and, and she, as she should have said, she said, listen, you want to go out and have a great time with your friends after the game? That's fine. I don't want to stop you from doing that. But you don't get another day off coming home. You know what? Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't get another day <laughs> off of, of, of parenting when you come home and you're sitting in the same room as me and the kids and you're just hung over and can't do anything. And so I, I learned quickly that if I'm going somewhere where I have no responsibilities, I'll get there. Uh, but I know if I come home to a place with responsibilities, I got to make sure I'm ready to fly. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it does. If there is one thing I have learned in my travels is that I have a deep appreciation for nights out with any of my friends that are married and have kids. Because like you said, that on the back end of it is a different tax that you got to pay on all the fun that we just had. My tax was being mildly drunk in the Uber ride still on the way to the airport, having to deal with the hangover going through pre-check and TSA, and then winding up on the plane trying not to throw up. But then like you said, yes, I get to my final destination and I am beholden to nothing and no one but the couch uh, plenty of time on the toilet and whatever fried food I can get my hand on. Mike, oh you better God. get you got to recoup because I'm coming back to the place where we were in college together and we will be having nights out because my kids are not going to be there. Oh man. Oh man. All right, we're going to I'm going to yeah. keep myself from gagging and we'll cross that bridge as we come to it. We'll tell you about what me and Brandon have going on this week, but why don't we get to what else we had going on over the weekend? There were plenty of people drinking for happy reasons this weekend. We had the rest of the NFL draft finish up. Dad and I were a part out in Boston with DraftKings at their night one live stream covering the event, looking at all the picks and everything that went down there. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great. But everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So, wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. I, I laughed as we went through the weekend because we had the usual round of like interesting draft stories that came out of the weekend. Lucas Van Ness, the uh, defensive tackle, defensive end out of Iowa, having his drunk friend all over him. His dad appeared to give the old attaboy to his girlfriend oh, on the oh. which dads in public oh. settings. I don't know where this is coming from, but we need some sort of training seminar. Dad, you may be the perfect person to run this. How to get through a public showing with your family and not walk out on the backside of it looking problematic. And in a public setting, in a private setting, I don't care what setting you're in. Yeah, that, dad, that too. Dad doesn't, t- you know, pat the the butt of his son's girlfriend. Ever. I mean, not and a to, double do, tap. to do it. I to do it on on national TV, oh, and then listen that that's everywhere. Then I mean, I don't even know what to say. But I mean, that should never ever be an issue ever in your life. Wait a minute. And not now you got to deal with that. That was and that's Cole Komet's sister, is it not? Yes. The tight end for the Chicago Bears, a Notre Dame grad. The plot wow. Becomes. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, no, that this should not happen. Listen, you telling me you're not you wouldn't be so excited that you wouldn't know what to do with your hands? No. And, and slap. I know I, I I would be very excited. Very excited, but there are things that I'm not going that no, there is no chance that that would I I have been an excited situation. Listen, when I, when I saw Jenny after she gave birth to my first grandson, I gave her a hug and a kiss on the cheek. I didn't I didn't pat her on the ass for it. 
You know, like, I didn't do that. I think we need the hitch style teacher dad. You need to be hitch for uh, dads of adult children. And instead of him teaching Kevin James how to dance and telling him to keep everything right inside the frame, it's got to be dads. Hands are above the waist. It is high fives and over the top hugs. Everything else, you got to be off limits there. If you live right in this square from your waist up with your hands, you're not going to go wrong. You're not going to step in anything you don't need to. Hugging, MIG backing up. You don't even go to the lower back, let alone, you know, the, the, the butt. And, you know, uh, maybe a kiss on the cheek, depending on the moment. And that's that. That's it. And we move on. Okay? We're, we're, we're done. Speaking we're of moving done, on, people. we could we talk about the rest of the draft. Although, I do want to say, it was like when you miss giving your friend a high five and you, like, try to... <laughs> Try to double back and get a really oh, another yeah. quick high five. That's what was going on there. It's like, no, you should not have attempted the butt slap of your son's girlfriend in the first place. Well, yeah, I, I'd rather miss a high five than do what he did. <laughs> you mock me all day for missing a high five, but uh, not not what he did. No, no. Yeah, awkward dap there. Yeah. Um, uh, but besides that, the rest of the draft, as Brandon <laughs> pointed off, uh, did go off without a hitch. We had an NFL draft record 43 trades, which yeah. was Ooh. really the story of the weekend. When you had a draft with this many high-end quarterback prospects and some thin positions in other areas, it made for a ton of action. And, Dad, this is kind of in keeping with a trend that we've seen in recent years in the NFL in general as you've gotten younger GMs that are making more aggressive moves. We've seen the yeah. NFL trade deadline become much more of a story. And for the NFL draft to have this kind of action in it made for, especially in the top two rounds, where we know that's where the majority of right. your hits and the things you're going to be judged on as a GM come from, a lot of that action living there for some teams this year no i and i agree with you about we had three first time gms you know running their first draft we have younger gms are on the league now uh, as well so i agree with you that's why i think the trade deadline has become more important hell all the years i was doing the show at espn the nfl trade deadline was basically just a day that passed with nothing to talk about but i think the young gms and where the game is now that's changed it and they're finding out you can get and we saw it with a guy like McCaffrey, with a guy like Hawkinson getting traded at the trade deadline and how good they were for their next team. So, I, yes, I agree a thousand percent with that, with with the younger and with I'm always interested in the point totals of trades and how you deem what value is. I'll never forget when Jimmy Johnson worked a trade, worked a draft at ESPN with us one year and he explained his grading system of trades and how you this round is worth this and this position is worth that and how you go about it. It was, it was a fascinating education of trying to, you know, when you're working on a trade, you want to get the better end of the deal, but mostly you want to make sure it's even for both sides as even as can be. And a lot of it's these point value situations that they have for draft for, for rounds and positions. And that's a good thing to keep in mind as you see draft grades rolling out from this weekend, because I know in dad, when we used to do the show with Trey, who covered the draft for a whole bunch of years, he was always adamant about how you can't actually grade these things because it's incomplete until you right. get three years down the road and see all that stuff. One, it's fun to do it. We're allowed to do this stuff. It's fodder for content, but also it's what you said. It's all right. Understanding value where you believe these players are ranked and that's different for every team, but we all on the outside and have a lot of people who spend time grading and breaking down these prospects. And so based on where you get these prospects and based on the transaction, you can still grade the job right. that a team did maximizing right. its resources on this weekend. A absolutely right. You can grade it, but again, it's great fodder for shows when you got a few hours to fill. You can do that though, based off of what you think of the player and where he went. Like, I said with both Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson, I love them as players, but I didn't necessarily like the fit of where they went with Atlanta and Detroit. Now, since that, you know, the day after Detroit traded DeAndre Swift, oh, by the way, another Georgia alum <laughs> to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles roster now is 6% of UGA players. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing, but... So that's but so I'm with you on that as far as the grading. I didn't grade them as high because I didn't really feel that was the spot for those guys while I do like them a lot as players. Yeah, speaking of that Georgia difference, the Georgia social media team never missing a moment picked out a graphic to underscore that that 2021 Georgia defense 
had, and I'm going to count this here, I believe 13 players off that defense drafted in the NFL draft with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven first rounders as a part of that. One of the greatest defenses in college football history bearing the fruit on the other end. So if you're wondering how does one win back-to-back national championships in college football, the answer is have a whole defense of NFL players. Yeah, that helps. And then how do you try and get to the Super Bowl again? Draft a bunch of Georgia players. I mean, that's what Philly did last year. And this year, Philly is the first team in the common draft era to take five defensive players from the same school in a two-year span. I mean, I, so <laughs> Howie Roseman gets it. Like yes. I saw, I saw Peter Schrager from the NFL network was on at some point and said other executives around the league are getting pissed off at how much praise Howie Roseman is getting for all of this. You can draft Georgia players too. There's yeah. nothing stopping right everyone from building the entire plane out of Georgia defensive players yeah. right now. You're it's smart to. business. And it's why everywhere you look, the Eagles are going to get probably the highest or among the highest grades in the NFL draft, right? And it's different when you're a team that gets to operate from a place of privilege, right? You don't have a lot of things on the roster that need filling, so everything's a little less dire. Once you've planted the flag around a quarterback, you know you've got all the strengths that we know about that team, but adding Jalen Carter, Nolan Nolan Smith, getting Tyler Steen, the guard out of Alabama, Keely Ringo, like you mentioned, uh, in the fourth round out of Georgia, taking a flyer even on Tanner McKee, the quarterback back out of Stanford in the sixth round of the draft you get to do everything from that place of privilege and so now it's all supplemental everyone goes in and they're not asked to do too much right away by and large and so it gets easy for a team like them for a team like Seattle who we loved their top end picks especially to get to add to a team that was a surprise darling last year I think that's a great point of not a lot has to be on any one of those players shoulders because of what they built which is unlike which, which is right. They're, they're a great team as opposed to the teams that are picking at the top of the draft. You are going to put a lot of pressure on Bryce Young, on C.J. Stroud, on Will Anderson to come in and be great right away. That might be too high of an expectation to, to ask for, but we've seen it before, so that will be the expectation. Well, in Philly, that's not – especially on the D-line, where as someone who played the D-line, the greatest thing about a D-line is, is depth. When you could rotate in and keep fresh legs, which is what they could do, it's ridiculous. The only problem Howie Roseman is going to have is when he goes back to his reunions because he's a Florida guy. Uh, So that's a a tough call when he's doing great with all the Georgia players and he went to Florida. (laughs) I'd have to explain that to all the other alumni there. That one's going to hurt a little bit. Um, Outside of the Eagles, Dad, was there anyone else that stuck out to you as having a particularly great draft? I look at a team like maybe the Chicago Bears who attacked their problems with volume in this draft, uh, had a ton of picks that they end up getting to make in this one. I think uh, it looks like 11 overall picks that they had to make their first round pick. Uh, Darnell Wright, the tackle out of Tennessee, who was one of my favorite players going into the draft on the O-line, fits a very clear need for them. Javon Dexter, the D-tackle out of Florida, great traits guy there. Tyreek Stevenson, Zach Pickens, another really strong former five-star defensive tackle at South Carolina. And then one of my favorite guys in the draft, Roshan Johnson, the running back out of Texas, was the backup to B. John Robinson, would have been a starter at most places there. I, I know he's not going to go in day one and be anyone's bell cow, but that's a guy, a former quarterback, converted to a running back while he was at Texas. That's just an example of finding really good value, someone everyone knew was a really good football player that now you get to add to your roster. And for them, you get him in the fourth round, as we know the debate constantly rages on about where and how to get the best value out of running backs. That's a great spot for a player of that caliber. Well, I mean, there are a couple of teams I thought did well. Obviously, when you look at teams that had two picks in the first round, how did they do? The Texans, I think, did a great job getting Stroud and Anderson, even though, as we just talked about, a lot's going to be on their shoulders uh, as far as what they need to do. I think Seattle did really well, uh, getting Witherspoon and then starting the four-wide receiver run with uh, Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. They got the kid that was the running back at – at Michigan, uh, Zach Zach Charbonnet, Charbonnet, right? Is that, I appreciate. It. I know he transferred. Yeah, Zach Charbonnet, the, the Michigan transfer that went to UCLA. Yep. Yeah, yep, got got him as well. I thought they did a nice job. I mean, in a division where I don't think much of the Cardinals 
overall roster. I like what they did in the draft. The Rams are, I mean, we know the year they had and what they're rebuilding from. San Francisco has got the most talent without question in that division, but we're not sure at the quarterback position. So Seattle has not only, I think, surprised us all last year by being there and Geno Smith having the year he did, but now I say it's a battle with them and San Francisco for that division, and a lot of it's going to be on who the hell is going to be the quarterback for the 49ers. Yeah, and to your point about their draft, less consequential but didn't have a pick in the top two rounds, and so now all of a sudden it really becomes an exercise in value there. I'm definitely with you on Seattle, uh, what they have built there defensively. You and I got to talk about that a lot night one on the draft show that we were on. Brandon, I would also say your Baltimore Ravens, now so much of that contingent on Lamar Jackson and what that meant, but stacking all the offseason moves and the conversation about – Fixing the receiving game by adding one of the best receivers in the draft and Zay Flowers pretty early on had to feel good. Yeah, but I don't like that. He's just not big enough for me. I do think it's good to have a, a Marquise Brown replacement, but just like how the Chargers just keep getting the same type of wide receiver over and over again in the draft, I thought it was a little bit of a miss not to get a, a bigger, sure-handed wide receiver. Uh, but how could you be mad about picking up Zay Flowers? I just wish that there was more attention to that position and also adding depth at the corner position. But, you know. It is what it is. We we got Lamar, and everything else is just icing on the cake. Yeah, so you guys you guys went Trenton Simpson out of Clemson in the third round there. A lot of people think maybe that might be an indictment of Patrick Queen a little bit. Mm. Uh, opposite Roquan Smith in that linebacker room. Simpson, a guy who can get downhill and get after the quarterback a little bit too. Uh, corner depth, you mentioned uh, Caillou Blue Kelly out of Stanford. And then Andrew Voorhees, which could have a lot of sneaky value there. They got Andrew Voorhees in the seventh round, him coming off of a knee injury that he suffered at the Combine this past year. We remember he was the viral video, blew his knee out doing drills at the Combine, and then still went and did the bench test wearing the brace on his knee. Ultimate savage move, a ton of respect, which is a lot for me to say that about USC guys, as we know. But he was a very productive college player, incredibly important, almost basketball MVP case style, how we judge a lot of guys when you take them off the court, what happens to their team. That USC offensive line protecting Caleb Williams when Andrew Voorhees was not available to them last year took massive steps back. And so that's another guy that if he can come back, get healthy on the other side of that, what you get with him in the seventh round because of the injury timing ends up being an incredible value if that works out the way he could as a player. So, Brandon, let me ask you this, because I'm bad with a lot of the things that we see on Twitter, like when Lamar did SpongeBob, I didn't know what the meaning of that was and all that. (laughs) What was the Antonio Brown tweet with the Baltimore Ravens jersey on, like he's going to be a Raven? What, what, What? When you saw that, what did you think? Uh, I did not see that. Uh, oh, this yeah. is the first time here. And uh, I love Lamar because he's a troll. That, and I'll say that 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 is that is him pulling the troll card. He is now the quarterback of the future, and he can swing around his proverbial power and say who and who should not be drafted. I think it's funny to think about uh, uh, Antonio Brown joining the Ravens, but only on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would he probably said, agree with that. Excited to join the Baltimore Ravens this year. Hashtag yeah. Ravens flock. And it was yeah. himself with a Ravens jersey at it. It's like, excuse me, excited to return to the NFL this year. And yeah. no one really know what to do with it. I did not see that corroborated by an insider. Ooh, so this no. might be Antonio Brown just very publicly shooting his shot and yeah. seeing if in a world full of blue checkmark confusion and no one really sure who's breaking news at this point on God's internet. Maybe he thinks that he can go and incept himself onto the Baltimore Ravens. Would you take him on your team? If, if Baltimore wanted to sign him, would you want him? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I want to say no. Yeah. But, I know. I know. But yes, like he's crazy, but he, Gets touchdowns. I for one, I'm going to correct myself. I thought Lamar tweeted about Antonio oh, no. Brown. No, Antonio, Antonio Brown tweeted about the fact that Antonio Brown wants to come to the Ravens is is really just a compliment. And and I thank you, AB. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm waiting for him to just show up at the facility the first day and see what happens. Yeah, how about it? Yeah, I'm here. I'm ready to go. <laughs> who's who's going to tell him? Who's yeah. going to tell him? I'd be afraid to approach the guy. You don't know what the hell he's going to do. 
Man. Oh, my God. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, we'll get to more weird moments uh, from the draft when we give out our weekend roses. But as I was sitting around over the weekend, the one thing that I did get to stop and appreciate was the end of the Lakers-Grizzlies series as the NBA playoffs have started to turn the page. We've had some of the second-round series get going. Miami Heat got a win over the Knicks in round one of, or in game one of right. that series. Denver got a win over Phoenix in game one of that series. But the Lakers had to finish things up against the Memphis Grizzlies. They go out and beat the number 40 turned into a sort of biblical reminder that kept popping up as soon as Dylan Brooks mentioned it in his comment slandering LeBron James where he said he's old, I don't care, I wish I got to play him when he was in his heat days, I don't respect anyone that hasn't dropped 40 on me. And after that moment, we had the LeBron James 2020 game where he combined for 40 between 20 points and 20 rebounds, and then one of the largest um, final game defeats we've seen in a series in NBA history when they went and beat the unholy break off of them dad is there anyone who has had a worse time in any recent postseason than dylan brooks did this year by his own making <laughs> oh oh listen and, and and i don't mind if the guy because i i played with guys who are the smack talkers you know every team has them but the main thing you have to do is back it up and, and that doesn't even just mean if you lose the series that that's going to happen but how are you playing how are you doing? Like I said, Draymond Green is one of the ultimates as far as that's concerned. But Draymond Green could usually back it up with his play. Now, not so much his scoring. What, he had 21 in one of the games, and that's the most points he had in like five years. But we know what other strengths Draymond brings to the table. Dylan Brooks just wasn't wasn't bringing that. He wasn't he wasn't backing that up. So, you, you do. You, you want, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people going, why do you say the things you say? And as I said all along, there are those that feel they need to say it. That's what gets them motivated. That's what gets the chip on their shoulder, that, they, that, that they're the heel. That's just them a lot of times. Now, those that are just saying it to kind of be that guy, well, they usually get found out pretty quickly. But, but Dylan has is, is kind of been that, that type of a guy. But unfortunately for him, he didn't back it up with a whole lot. No, 63 points on the series off 77 shots, 24 made field goals, and 20 personal fouls, yeah. where he also got insult added to that by being fined $25,000 for violating the league's media access policies during the first round. After going out there and talking his mess, he skipped media availability in back-to-back -back games, the LeBron James 2020 game and then this past game, and ran from the fight. And I know there always is this thing that comes up, the beef that a lot of people on the outside have defending players saying, well, they don't know the media anything, and yada, yada, yada. Like, if you're a quiet guy all the time, right? I, you could somewhat sell me on that because we know – we're talking more about athlete mental health now. We're exploring the utility of these sort of old media practices as they exist. But in general, it's part of the deal that you sign. It's part of the way that the league has been promoted and arrived at popularity is by having access with players. And if you're the guy that's going to be out there talking you-know-what, you also have to go up there and answer for it after because now you look like the guy that's rabbit punching people and then running from the fight. That's what well, it ends up looking like on the back end for Dylan Brooks. It's not a rabbit punch. It's a poking of the bear. 
And what happens at the end of getting poke, poking a bear? You usually get mauled. Uh, I mean, you've seen Leonardo DiCaprio in The Reverend. Yeah. Like, I, I think I think I'm happy that it went out this way because he saw what he could do with his mouth and it wasn't just him talking LeBron or just getting into his brain. It's him setting up his whole team for failure. So the thing that aggravates me the most of being in locker rooms all my life is, is a guy that seeks the microphone to talk his smack, right? And you know, you know, when you do that, if things don't go your way, the microphone is going to come back into your face again. And what Mm -hmm. did Dylan Brooks do? He turned it around and blamed the media for making him a villain. When his mouth made him the villain, too many guys don't want to look in the mirror and say, you know what? You caused this, Dylan. You did it. You had no problem spouting off into the mic. And again, I don't have a problem with that if you want to do it. I don't. Now, you didn't back it up very well, but I don't have a problem. The problem is when all of a sudden you point the finger instead of pulling the thumb and saying, oh, they're making me the villain. It's their fault for kind of turning it around on me. You wanted the microphone to talk your smack. The microphone was going to be in your face when it didn't go your way, and you bolted. That's on you, Dylan. That is not on the media. That is not on anybody else but you. Right. And you can say he doesn't know the media anything, and I can say that's fine, but then perception becomes reality. And if you want to shirk the responsibility there, the visual we have is you were very loud when things were going well, or the potential for things to go well was there, and then the minute things got bad, you cut bait and ran. I don't know what he's like inside that locker room, if he's different, because to the Draymond Green point we keep hammering home, the Golden State guys seem to always have Draymond's back pretty publicly when these things happen. Draymond got suspended in this last series, and those guys went out and balled. Those guys made sure to keep bringing his name up, how they thought it was foul, the way that he got treated, on and on down the list. So I don't know what that holds for Dylan and his teammates, but... Part of me almost ended up in a weird way feeling bad for him by the end of this series because this was a person that so clearly got in over their head. Like, he did not realize how much he was biting off and the fact that it was going to be way more than he could possibly true. He was drowning. uh, Very rarely do we see someone fall into the deep end like this in sports in as public a stage, and he courted it himself. He is solely responsible for the way things turned out, but on a human level, I did almost find myself feeling bad by the end because he's not a good enough basketball player and wasn't a good enough basketball player to be talking that level of smack. But at least if he had gone out there and stepped up and be like, hey, you know what? Listen, hats off to them. They were the better team. You'd be like, all right, at least he clearly knows how to handle it. I look at this now and go, oh, that's a guy that really was not ready for what rose the other way when he started speaking up. Yeah, next time he jumps into the deep end, he better put a life jacket on so he doesn't sink the way he sank. But I don't even need him to be – realistic about it and say oh actually that was a good team they put up a good fight you know they deserve to move on like stand 10 tones down on what you've already set narrative wise like he should have been going back out there and been like oh lebron's still booty cheeks like i still <laughs> I, I still don't believe in him he's still old is he not old 20th year like give us more of that i feel like he lost respect and i can't speak for everyone in the nba right i've never played any high level competition of basketball much like uh the people on first take but i i I feel like there's he lost respect amongst the league in how he can carried himself off the court in this series as well. I will be curious when the Athletic is the one that puts out that survey anonymously of different players' opinions, the most overrated player in the league, all those different things, where Dylan Brooks falls this time next year when they do that poll. He's also a free agent coming up this summer, so we'll even see if he is teammates with the same group of people in Memphis coming off of this because there is the encore portion of things that, again, ended up getting uh, ejected from the one game, uh, 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 the game after some of his original comments for uh, flicking LeBron in the no-no places on one of those drives. And so... His future, his basketball future, like his actual livelihood future became more uncertain because a player that would have otherwise, and this is always the difficult calculus when it comes to talking smack. It's why I didn't talk smack. I wasn't good enough to go out there and back it up. I didn't need anyone putting any more of a microscope on what I was doing than was already occurring. I needed to go out there and focus all of my energy on handling my business. He invited an audience to come watch a performance that was going to be maybe at best B work. 
Like maybe B plus on a great day, but not a guy capable of giving you A stuff. And so he invited all of that in there and now gets to reap the results on the other side. Yeah, he was way better at his trash talk than he was at his game. And like I said, I don't mind trash talkers. I'm with you, Mike. A, I was never good at it. And B, I never wanted to do it because I wasn't good enough to do that either. And, and I found most old linemen didn't do it on your side of the ball. Not a lot of D linemen did it. One of the best was John Randall, the Hall of Fame defensive Ooh. tackle from the Minnesota Vikings. He would read the bio of some of the old linemen he was playing against so he knew about them, and he would use that during the game. He was one of the greatest smack talkers of all time. My smack talk consisted of two words. First word began with F, and the last word was you. That was it. Because I wanted to conserve my energy and I didn't want to I didn't want to mess with anybody. My buddy Mark Schlereth, who I played against for years and then worked together at ESPN, always told the story. He was not a smack talker. As a matter of fact, his line in Denver, their offensive line, when I was out covering games, they wouldn't and I knew the ball. And they would keep saying, Sorry, Mike, we can't talk to you after the game. We have our own fine system in the offensive room if we talk to the media that we're gonna fine every fine you to do it. They didn't want to talk to anybody. And Shannon Sharp, one of the great smack talkers of all time, right, would constantly talk smack. Schlera said he would tell him all the time, Shannon, you're writing checks that I have to cash. And that's not cool, man. And Shannon couldn't help it. Shannon was one of the great smack talkers. And, oh, by the way, obviously a great football player too. But but Stink was always like, man, you're getting them mad and I got to block them. (laughs) So what are you doing to me? Can you imagine yeah. how much harder we would all have to work in cardio to be able to talk smack? Like, oh, I feel like that's a oh. big part of it, too. Like, Mike, you're out yes. in L.A. People trying to be too talkative during hikes. It's like, listen, I need my wind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I have to walk back up a hill from the beach every day when I go down there. And if I'm on the phone, people think that I am under attack. It sounds yeah. terrible. So, <laughs> yeah. Not built for that life. And apparently Dylan Brooks was either. Um Speaking of somebody who is, though, I want to get to uh, our roses here on in Monday. Uh, we are a show that appreciates a good uh, bit of Bachelor and Bachelorette reality TV fun. Yes. We each, because there's three of us, are going to give out one rose to a deserving recipient from over the weekend. And I want to use my rose to start this off to give further love to the folklore of Jimmy Butler. Now, my rose technically goes to Jeff T former Minnesota Timberwolves guard who joined the Club 520 podcast and added even more context to that story about Jimmy Butler famously going in that inner squad scrimmage while he was with the Timberwolves and working with the G League guys and beating the starters in that game. Jeff Teague told a little bit more fully developed version of the story how Jimmy Butler was in a contract dispute with the organization. He wasn't coming in and practicing at that point. At one point, Tibbs said that they were going to scrimmage when Jimmy was there getting treatment. So he popped up and said, I'm in, but I'm not playing with the starters. Those are your guys. I'm going to play with the G League guys. And they said he was wearing everyone out. They said all the team personnel were in the building watching this. He kept yelling, pay me. I'm him. You're really going to pay them. Yelling at Carl Anthony Towns and the starters on that team and ended up beating them soundly with that group and then they said Jeff Teague was saying they wanted to play him again so the starters had to play the second team guys first Jimmy runs into the locker room the starters win they want him to come back out and play again they are in the locker room Jimmy is gone and they look up on the screen and Jimmy is in the middle of a sit-down interview with Rachel Nichols talking about that scrimmage. The famous Rachel Nichols interview was yeah. scheduled before he went in, beat his entire team starters with the G League team, and then promptly exited to make the point that he believed he deserved more than what he was getting from Minnesota. It was incredible. And to have this story come out to coincide with Jimmy Butler, who rolled his ankle in game one of that Knicks series. So we'll wait and see how that plays out but was still someone who helped them come back and win that game after being down double digits and has been the hero of this postseason so far just keeps adding more cool factor to Jimmy Butler and his insane competitive drive. I'm dumbfounded. Uh, that look on your face, Brandon, is, is I, I can't I, talk about trash talkers and being able to back it up. Like Jimmy Butler has been doing it behind the scenes. There's folklore about Jimmy Butler. I didn't think I was going to get to this, this week. Yeah, that, that it, great stuff. It, 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 and the Jimmy Butler story, anyway, is 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 incredible. 
uh, where, where he came from and everything again. So that's, and what they're doing now, uh, now that we have, what do we have? Two teams, Miami and LA that won in the play-in rounds. And now Miami won up on the Knicks. Knicks play without Randall today who had the bad ankle. Uh, but you know, again, Butler went down with, it looked like at that low ankle sprain, you know, when you just turn that ankle and it hurts like hell for a while. So I'd imagine he's going to be okay. Yeah. They had Jimmy out there as a decoy standing in the corner. He airballed one, three, but besides that basically just stood off to the side and no one on the Knicks thought to actually try and isolate him or make him try and play defense or make that at all an issue for them. So maybe an adjustment for Tibbs in uh game two, uh, Brandon, who's your Rose of the week going to go to? All right, this will be a, a sports sandwich. Uh, actually, sports is, when you call it a sandwich, it's the thing in the middle. So, not that. But <laughs> I, I got to give it to Louisville native Jack Harlow, who dropped an album on Friday, uh, 24 minutes, very short, very sweet, named Jackman, his uh, third studio album. It was just very, very good, Mike. Uh, it, no features on this thing, straight lyricism. Uh the last couple of tr- uh, albums he's put out have been very poppy and a lot of hardcore Jack Harlow fans haven't really been feeling it. This was him right back on track, less like Drake, more like himself. Uh, it was worth people's time. I just, I got to give my rose to, to Jack Harlow. Dad, he's if you were it. unaware, anytime something has to do with Louisville, Kentucky, Drake, or potentially Los Angeles traffic habits, Brandon has to bring it to the forefront here. So he has to check the box today. Are those your three things? That's your trilogy, huh, Brandon? Well, I, listen, Jack Harlow was at the Knicks game. So I guess he was sitting right next to Aaron Rodgers. By the way, right? everybody was at the Knicks game. I mean, the amount True. of times they were going into the crowd on that thing, that was unbelievable. Martha Stewart was there. You got to go You got to go uh, give her some screen time. Still, maybe, just because you said that, maybe one of the oddest but best relationships that has happened over the years, Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg. I mean, Love it. no one, no one could have predicted that one. That just came to mind. I mean, death row Martha and house Stewart. arrest. It makes yeah. sense to me. There you go. That is very, very true. Dad, uh, who's your Rose of the Week go to? Well, I'm going to go to listen. Being being a dad, you know what this this just really really moved me, and I know people have heard about it. Um, but the Vaughns, uh, uh, Chris Vaughn, the father and, and Deuce Vaughn, the running back from Kansas state, who was the seventh round selection of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the dad is a college scout with the Dallas Cowboys. And so he had been with them since 2017 and just, he's a college scout. So you think he would have been scouting his son, but he did not write a report on his son. When the Cowboys discussed his son in meetings, he left the room. He didn't want to influence in the direction either way. So just before the Cowboys were on the clock, Vaughn was starting to leave. He was going to head up to the team's – he was going to start the team's undrafted free agent process. And it was not not in the draft room. And then it, it turns out they're going to draft his son. And he got to call his son and basically said to his son, how would you like to work with me every day? I mean, just wow. what a what a cool he got to even though it's automated now, he got to bring the proverbial card up yeah. with his son's name on it, you know, to be called and, and announced. I mean, just and and now we've I'm sure a lot of people, if you haven't, you can find it everywhere, heard the phone call between dad and son about son gonna play on the team dad works for. Then you saw Jerry Jones and think what you want about Jerry Jones, but Jones is like I've been through about 30 of these things and rarely have I got a tear in my eye. And it was a, it was a very, very cool moment um, for, for the Vaughn family on that one. So I'm going to, I'm going to split my rose and give it to the father son tandem. And that was a very cool thing. It, it was. And it was something I'm sure they both knew was possible because of the position that they were both in, but to actually have that moment and for it to be a genuine surprise for dad because of the way he approached this, the, the process entirely was it, chills. That was probably the best video to come out of the draft to get to see that moment for those two and for Deuce Vaughn, the opportunity now coming into a backfield in Dallas that we know is going to be without Zeke Elliott for the first time in a long time. There was no other running back picked up in the draft this year. And he was a consensus all American player, albeit one that's five, five, which is why you can get him at two twelve in the sixth round. Right. Right. What, what's interesting too, part of this story is when the dad, when Chris Vaughn came back into the draft room, they had already decided that they were drafting his son Deuce. But when he came back in the room, 
they were all, or, or Jerry Jones was discussing other possibilities for the selection. You know, so the dad had no idea then, and they had already decided while he was out of the room they were taking his son Deuce. And then, obviously, the dad called the son, and, and it became history. So, hope the kid makes the team. That would be a very, very cool thing. It's a very, very nice story. Yeah, awesome. Awesome, heartwarming stuff to go all the way from ass-slapping to this now. <laughs> a much more wholesome take on the NFL draft. <laughs> oh uh, echo Joe Show on Twitter if there's anything we missed from that uh, when it comes to top performers of the weekend. But uh, we may as well finish this thing off the right way, guys. Uh, get everyone out here on a good note on Monday. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to finish off the day. Uh, as always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. And let Brandon know how much you want him <laughs> back on the mic. Brandon, you've seen the people talking, so I know you hear it. Yes, I, I do, Mike. I, I see and I appreciate them adding to the algorithm. But, you know... I, I I'll I'll plead the fifth right now, uh, but more will be come out. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Contract disputes, Mike. <laughs> wow, There's, the truth comes out. Brandon wants more money to sing. That's and you wow. know what? I understand it. If you're good at anything, you don't do it for free. Hey. And when you signed the contract originally, being the songbird of a generation for this podcast was not in the agreement. It wasn't in the cards. It's just how you know the podcast came to be. And you know, you know, I got I got to hold my cards and that's the only ones I have, so. So, it's one of those things that evolved and now that it evolved, you want to get paid for it. <sighs> I mean, from your mouth to God's ears. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, uh, incredible. That's awesome. All right, well, continue continue to add that into uh, the breakdowns and the reviews <laughs> that you post there. But guys, let's get to this and uh, get it from the NHL. Overtime playoff hockey, we know is always great, but when it's overtime playoff hockey and the president's trophy team is losing in overtime in a series that was in game seven to complete one of the more historic upsets that we have seen in quite a while, the Florida Panthers took down the Boston Bruins in game seven, sending the president's trophy winners packing early on here the levitard show is going to be a problem today i cannot wait to see the reaction from those guys well i i think we had talked about this before there have been 38 times the the president the winner of the president's trophy the best record and by the way they set a record by right, getting yes. it this year um only i think it was only six times six or eight times that team actually went on to win the stanley cup out of the 38 but now we go the other way you know this is a one versus an eight right with the Florida Panthers, there has been, I think, eight times, I think, maybe more. I could be wrong on this. Eight ones beat, eight eights beating a one. But one time an eight seed won the Stanley Cup. I don't know if it's in the cards for the Florida Panthers. 2012 LA Kings were the eight seed uh -huh. and they won the whole thing. I mean, what we talk about in hockey, man, all of a sudden you get one guy that's hot or especially the goalie standing on his head. And man, you can go a lot of places. And 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 this is what this is what you want. Hockey's one of the great overtimes there is in all of sports. Game seven, where that you just keep playing 20-minute periods, and this only went to one overtime, but 20-minute periods until somebody scores. It is about as exciting as can be. And remember, the Panthers won the President's Trophy last year right. in their first postseason series since 1996. They had a big lot of offseason moves this year. And so this was a good team that just wound up seeded in this way. But, Dad, you're right. The Boston Bruins set a record for the best regular season record in NHL history at 65-12-5 and were up 3-1 in this series against yeah. the Panthers before getting dropped like this. So as much success as as so many of the Boston area sports teams have had, this has got to sting in ways they didn't know it could. Yeah, I feel I mean, bad it's one Boston. of those things you ask, like Giannis said, no, our, our season wasn't a failure in Milwaukee. What do the Bruins think? They think their season was a failure now? Oh, yeah, <sighs> definitely. Yeah, wow. it's got to feel like that. Courtesy of ESPN Stats and Info, they're the second team in NHL history to blow a 3-1 series lead as the President's Trophy Ooh. winner. They joined the 2010 Washington Capitals, who lost in the conference quarterfinals against the Canadians. So, tough blow there. Uh, thoughts and prayers to everyone yep. out in Boston uh, having to digest that one. Uh, let's get to that. This one. 
back on the gridiron. Guys, we've got championship football being played for our nation's capital. The XFL championship game is set. We have got the D.C. Defenders at 9-1 in the regular season going up against the uh, Arlington Renegades, Renegades, who finished 4-6 over the course of this season. So a bit more of an underdog story there, but our nation's capital fresh off being freed from the clutches of Dan Snyder now gets to root on their, their team here in the renegades who have drawn huge crowds, been home to great beer snakes and now might actually get to add championship to that resume. Defenders beat the sea dragons 37, 21 renegades beat the roughnecks 26 to 11. The interesting thing there is Arlington, or as you mentioned, I think was what four and six in the regular season, Houston, the team they beat today, beat them twice in the regular season. Houston beat Arlington twice, and they got to the third time, the most important one in the playoffs, and Arlington was able to pull off the win and not go to the title game. Pretty impressive. Yeah, damn impressive stuff out of there. Brandon, have you you had any interest in the XFL this season? Don't get me started. I was going to flip it on you because I do have interest in alternative leagues to an extent, but – because I wish I could have, I wish they were going when we were coming out of college. So we had like a, a nice yeah. landing spot outside of the NFL, possibly. Um, but do you think that in this year go around with Dwayne, the rock Johnson doing his thing, is it more prevalent than it has been in, in previous seasons? I, I don't know the answer to that, but the answer is going to be money. It always is money. Why did, why did, you know, when NBC was running the show, uh, with the with the USFL it was before, or was it X, XFL? Whatever they, when they ran out of money, basically halfway through the season, and yeah. it went kaput. I mean, that's what this comes down to. If you're starting a league, your it's your line of how far can you go, how much money will you lose before you pull the plug on it. It's either that you're either fighting that against can we work with the NFL? Will they become our partners? And I'm sure that's what Dwayne Johnson has already has had conversation with them that he'd like to have. That's what's going to help keep these leagues afloat. Yeah, I hope they manage to make it, man. We know this yeah. is, you know, time number three for the XFL they've tried. We had the Vince McMahon iteration before the pandemic that, you know, ran into a hundred year global pandemic. Nothing was right. going to survive right. that. And certainly that league was no exception, but it had been trending in the right direction. Hopefully this continued to capitalize on that. But guys, let's get to the third and talk about another trend. Apparently, according to Lucy Knight, who wrote an article for The Guardian, that the mullet is now officially back as a hair tile, a hairstyle and having a massive moment here across all race, gender, cla- cra- class, creed. Everyone seems to be rocking mullets. Dad, you never rocked a mullet, but Uncle no. Bob had a very yeah. famous mullet for a while back there in the 80s and early 90s. Are you surprised that this hairstyle made it back from your time growing up? Uh, I, I am a little bit business in the front party in the back, man. Yeah. And, and your uncle Bob, when he was with Saved by the bell, the college years, uh, I believe had that mullet on that show. Um, yeah. I am a little surprised okay. it's coming back. So let me ask you, Mike, someone who has no hair, would you rather be where you are now and not have hair? Or if you had hair, you had to have a mullet at all times, man. Honestly, if you could give me Uncle Bob's mullet, I might go with that. Yeah, he had a head of hair. Yeah, he's got, yeah. It, yeah. Because there are so many different types of mullets, right? We saw yeah, yeah. Quinn Ewers last year at Texas. You can have more of the Joe Dirt mullet. It's a little bit more unkempt. It kind of looks like a bowl yeah. cut almost in front and is a little scragglier in the back. But when you start to get into the curls on a mullet, now it's just luscious. You could even sell me on maybe that Barry Melrose slick back mullet the silver fox look that he's been so famous for. So if you gave me one of those, I could absolutely say I'd take that over being bald. Okay. Guys, I just Googled African-American mullet. Peep game. Oh, yeah. There you go. Brandon, I was going to say, you seem like someone who could absolutely pull that off. Yeah, it seems like a lot of Jericho juice around the neck area, but I'm willing to do it at least (laughs) once. That is honestly what I thought of was Soul Glow. The first thing that came to mind with this was coming to America. Coming to America, yeah. Well, how about a guy, because you're trying to think of people that that have them now. Doesn't the the dude who went to live, Cam Smith, I think he's got a mullet. He's got a mullet. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's sporting it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, this this article claims at the beginning, Miley Cyrus, I've seen Rocket, Lil Nas X, I think I've seen Tune, but also tried to claim that Rihanna sported a mullet, which I don't know if I've ever seen or how you would even begin to qualify that. But did you say Miley? You, did you mean Billy Ray Cyrus, her dad, or Miley? No, Miley. Well, because Billy Ray did too. I mean, Billy, oh, yeah. Billy Ray yeah. went, went with the mullet. Yeah, it's a family with a rich tradition and history of mullet of growing. Mullets. So. <laughs> What's our family's cheap export? Well, we grow corn and mullets. <laughs> it's been the family business for years. If you enjoy corn mullets in this podcast, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo of Mike Golick Jr. tab. And as always, make sure you download Golick and Smetty wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Go, go. Boom. Money in the bank.